you know, when I was a kid, back in the old days when things were printed on newsprint. Um, What's newsprint? Uh, yeah, that's a whole nother story, Junior. I, I was pretty much tied a DC, like I mentioned in the lap, last episode, I'm not going to repeat my rant about the Titans, but I was like a down-the-middle X-Men Titans kid. Those, I mean, when you only have so much allowance. You must have flipped your shit when Claremont and Simonson did the fucking New Teen Titans X-Men crossover. So, so quick story about that one is uh, we were going down, we were living, um, shit, where we, we were living here in California at the time. We moved around a lot when I was a kid. And I remember being in an airport. We were about to fly down to Alabama where my dad's parents were from. Uh, there was a comic rack there. And I said, Dad, can I have a comic? He goes, when are you going to grow out of that? I go, Dad, can I just have a comic, please? <laughs> this was in the era when parents still thought comics. Yeah. Well, my mom was really cool with it. She she knew that I learned a lot of language and, and advanced words. I mean, in fourth grade, I, I used the word anthropomorphic in a nice. sentence, in a, in a, correctly, in a sentence, because I read it in the Burn Claremont X-Men comic. Nice. So, you know, and I won Wordsmith of the Year in fourth grade in like 1970-something, whenever that was. Yeah. But anyway, so we're in this airport when it came out. What was it? 82, 83, something, something like something that. Something like yeah. that. And, and he said, It was okay. before Nightwing. It was well before Nightwing, yes. I mean, he was still short pants Dick Grayson at yeah. that point. Don't make any jokes about that one at home, kids. They've all been done at this point. But I saw, and, and this was before... The internet. Okay, so you you know, unless you caught a house ad uh you know, in one of the comics, now Comics Buyer's Guide was being put out at this point, but I'm talking I was like 13, 14 years old. So, you know, I had no I didn't care to read a newspaper about comics. I mean, even then the newspaper yeah. was was kind of out. So anyway, I'm in this the airport newsstand, right? They had comic books there, and I saw the X-Men Teen Titans crossover. Now, Simmonson had just kind of started his run on Thor at that point. And, of course, I told you just how deep of a Titans fan I was. And seeing this, I was like, wait, what? Dark Side and Dark Phoenix teaming up against yep. the, my two favorite superhero teams? Are you fucking kidding me? My pubescent head exploded on site and said, Dad, can I have this one? And I can't remember the cover price on it, but I mean, it was well out. It was out like 125 It was a, it, it was yeah. outside the range of a normal comic. Well, it, because it was a double-sized issue on the... Um, it wasn't like the glossy pages that we have now, but it was like... It was the one, thicker. It was thicker, and I it, it's not prestige format, but it was on the print that New Teen Titans went to. So it was a very fine quality paper at that time. I think it might have even been two bucks. Like a dollar ninety nine at that point, yeah. which was huge. And he's like, "You want me to spend two dollars on this?" And I was like, "Yeah, please." He goes, "Will it shut you up?" And I go, "Absolutely." Yeah. So he bought the comic <laughs> for me, and it—I mean—it carried me through the whole plane, flight turbulence and all. It was—I mean—a mind blowing experience, and just one of the favorite pieces I have deep in my storage of my collection that that I kept. And uh, I went off on a big tangent there, didn't I? I set you up knowing you exactly <laughs> where that was going to go. But 
it's funny that you 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 bring up the point that you're a Marvel zombie. Switching back to you, to what you brought beforehand yeah. is that somewhere around after that point, you know, and I was reading books like Batman, and I was reading Justice League of America, All Star Squadron, and uh, God, I mean, just all kinds of books that DC put DC put out. Um, I remember the uh, I think it was Mike W. Barr and Trevor Von Eden doing the four issue Green Arrow miniseries at the time, which was, was phenomenal. And, uh, so I was really, I was really into DC comics as much as I was Marvel comics, but sometime after the publication of new teen Titans, X-Men crossover, I kind of slid into a full scale Marvel zombie. I mean, it, there was that until legends came out in 1986, 87, oh, okay. you know, that's what in the man of steel relaunch and stuff yeah, like that. Basically when a bunch of the Marvel guys went over to DC. Exactly. Then I went on and I followed those same Marvel creators over. I mean, I was following John Byrne on fantastic four, which if you can get in collected format, um, there was an actual science advisor that Marvel comics hired for John Byrne's run on Fantastic really? Four. Really? No, that one I didn't know. Yeah, I can't remember the, the guy's name, but there was an actual science advisor that Byrne used for his stories. You know, things on, you know, many worlds theory and quantum dynamics wow, and stuff like that's that. that's pretty fucking cool. It, it was fucking cool. I mean, Marvel was doing some crazy shit back then. I mean... You know, they basically well, that was sh- that was shooter era, correct? Shooter era, yeah. I mean, cloak and dagger came out in this era when uh, you know you got superpowers not from radiation but from taking weird drugs. You know, taking these two street orphan or, or street yeah. urchin kids, and this was before the mutants and the magical origins and all that other crap with cloak and dagger. I mean, they got their powers from superpowered smack. So yeah. <laughs> being tried yeah. out on them. I mean, they were doing some some really, and and the Comics Code Authority was still full in effect at this point, but they were pushing the boundaries of it. Well, not only that, I know at the time they were releasing, there were several uh, books they put out that just did not have the code stamp, and they were like, fuck it. Absolutely. I mean, you know, they first did it with the infamous Stan Lee story of Harry Osborne coming out yeah. as, as a heroin abuser. And, uh, you know, other other issues and, you know, obviously Adam and I, I mean, Adam has a much better memory for some of this stuff than I do, as we've said before in previous episodes. But so I can't pull out the exact issues, which they just said, fuck the authority, you know, the CCA or not. But they were experimenting with just seeing how books sold without the comics code seal of approval. And uh, they were succeeding. I mean, they had the epic comics line. Oh my! Yeah, there's. You can't tell me that they had Comics Code Authority no, approval they on that. Now I know how you feel about Jim Starlin, so I'm not looking to pick an old wound, especially you being a zombie, you know, because yeah. that might yeah. cause your arm to fall off or something. But, um, you know, this was the imprint that gave us books like Dreadstar, which I'm still a fan of, just that original 12 issue run. Uh, books like, um, oh goddamn, Carl Potts and uh, Larry Stroman's Alien Legion. Oh, which, that's isn't that still going on? It it comes back from time to time. I want to say, and I think they got Chuck Dixon on it. Now, Chuck Dixon writing it, or maybe that was Chuck Dixon. I thought no, it was Carl Potts writing it originally, but Chuck Dixon might have come back to write it. Yeah, because Alien Legion was a fantastic book, which took the history of the French Foreign Legion and then put the sci-fi Star Wars kind of military sci-fi skin over it to retell some of these great stories from French Foreign Legion history in a sci-fi format. 
And it was the first time I got to see the wonderful Larry Stroman, who does not get enough work. Uh, you know, I mean. That's he, where we, we part ways on that. I'm uh, not a Larry Stroman fan. Fair enough. I mean, but he did something in the scope of the Alien Legion book, which was, you know, come up with these imaginative alien creatures and alien environments where to, to be fair there yeah. are plenty of artists out there mm -hmm. that um i've read their superhero work and i'm not a fan of their superhero work yeah but you let them cut loose as creators on uh their own creator own project and stuff from their own imagination and it's it's fantastic right you know like i really enjoyed the one issue of tribe that came out from image comics and larry yeah. stroman wrote and drew that book and i'm like shit let me see this because it was a definitive alternative voice on the superhero genre told from the African-American perspective. Yeah. And um, I don't know what happened with that book. I'd love to speak to him about that to see what happened because Tribe was a book where I was like, damn, I want to see more of that, you know? Yeah. Um, but lucky we now have other comics out there which do that. And we're going to talk about some of those on our podcast today, you know, and believe it or not. It's coming from Marvel Comics. Yeah. So, I'm sorry, you were going to say something now? Um, well, just getting back to, to Alien mm -hmm. Legion. Yep. Um, and just that vein of comics. Um, I was a big fan of going back. Now, um, yeah. They while they did have the creator-owned stuff, mm -hmm. Electro Assassin. Oh, God. There, yeah, that was another one that pushed the boundaries of not just... Uh, what you could, what was appropriate in a comic, that pushed the boundaries of the whole medium. That was a book. Okay, so Bill Sienkiewicz. Okay, first of all, Frank Miller, top of his form. He was at the top of his form at this time. Electro Assassin was the book that he did, correct me if I'm wrong, and I know you will, that he did just prior to Batman The Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, that I, sounds if, about if, right. If, if, if I remember my history correctly, and Frank Miller was writing at full speed, and I'm not talking like fast, I'm talking like the full power of his creativity before he went crazy. Uh, <laughs> and then Bill Sienkiewicz, you know, you got a taste of it uh, on New Mutants, you know, especially with like the Demon Bear saga and what came after that. But. Bill Sienkiewicz, his paint... I mean, it was the first time he didn't just draw a book, but he painted the colors himself in that book. Yeah, and that, it, that it, book is so crazy. I've read it probably about three times, and I have no clue what the fuck I'm reading each time, and it's a completely different experience. You can't pick that book up thinking that you're going to just read a Daredevil uh, spinoff title. It's Absolutely. Not, it's, it's not that. It, 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 it talks about... I mean... There's so uh, much of the politics of the day. Right. Um, the jingoistic, you know, railing against jingoistic American, yep. you know, it was Reagan era, um, you know, very uh, jingoistic. Uh, I don't know how how else to put it, but America first and everybody's worst kind of politics at the time. And yeah, a lot like today. Uh, trust me, I lived through it the first time and it was nothing like it is today. So, Jeez. <laughs> you know, yeah. back then I want. To have Reagan, if we could, if we could have Reagan Mark II robot come back and run the country, I'd be okay with it. Okay, that's enough politics. Anyway. But, but, you know, so so you had this political statement about the 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 burgeoning jingoistic hyper conservative worldview 
that we see in many of uh, the media outlets today. Uh, you had this kind of gonzo storytelling, which reminded you of the covers of all the great Hunter S. Thompson novels. Absolutely. Um, why am I blanking on that artist's name right now? Do you remember the artist of those novels? Um, oh, I don't. That one I don't know. I, I saw him being interviewed by Anthony Bourdain on CNN last year, and I can't please you know write in to us and yeah. and please correct me. Uh, you can tweet us at Graphic Podcast. I, I got it wrong on the last podcast. Oh, did you? I said graphic content pod, and I think that's something completely awful. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> but we are at graphic podcast on Twitter, and just shoot me his name, and then I will slap myself in the forehead and come back on the next uh, episode of the show and say, I should have known it was this guy and uh, please forgive me for that. But anyway, so it had that sort of art style to it. Um, They were dealing with heavy science fiction-y, transhumanistic ideas. Yeah, you uh, had cyborgs, you had uh, all kinds of political intrigue. And you had a ninja assassin with a gun the size of Cloud Sword from Final Fantasy VII, I think. Yeah, that thing was bigger than her. 90% 90% of the time you'd see her with it and you would just go, well, when you break it down, you go, there's no physical way that she could carry this weapon, but it looks so fucking it cool so, that you didn't give a shit. It was awesome. I mean, in every way. And those were, you know, the epic line of Marvel Comics during the 80s. And there's so many other books out there, like Coyote from Steve Englehart and Steve Lealoa. Um, was another fantastic book. I don't know if you've ever been that exposed to that. That was the book that. that got Tard McFarlane his start, I think, when he came in and did fill-ins. No, I'm think. wait, no, I'm thinking of a different book. I think you might be. I think you might be. Because um, the book I'm thinking of had Chaz Truog as the regular artist. Yeah, no, it wasn't It wasn't that one. It was okay. It was Englehart and Lealoa all the way on that. Okay. And that book was fucking weird, too. And I mean, that was Steve Englehart. Um, it was pretty straightforward, generally, in the superhero stuff. And it was just, it was a book about mystery and mysticism and a trickster god as a superhero who wasn't really a superhero. Um, it was just a great book. So, yeah, and, and and that's just, and to see how that influences today, you've got the creators who have come out and read those those epic line of comics and they're bringing a lot of that influence into a lot of today's Marvel comics. They really are. Um, but it's weird because you see the ones that are cut that, that get to cut loose are bringing that influence. But yet there's a group of them. I feel like is, <clears throat> excuse me, is editorially hand tied. Interesting. Okay. Um, and, and it's a, uh, it's for me, it's a night and day difference. Do you have an example of one of those books that you feel is editorially hand tied? Um, Not to put you on the spot yeah, too no, much, but I'm just trying to think of some of those books right now. Um, well, I think okay. Can I just say one thing? Yeah, Marvel. What the fuck are you doing with the X Men? I mean, okay, there the X Men, uh, and then of course Fantastic Four is so hand tied that there is no book. Well, because you know, and and look, you yeah, know, X-Men, we we all, all we know are rumors. All we know are what's reported in the comics press, half of which. Is like it's like entertainment journalism and mass media, where you know you have to kind of be a mouthpiece for the studio, and in comics journalism, you kind of have to be a mouthpiece for the comics publisher, so that you can get access to stories. There's few outlets out there um, that do it independently, and the ones that do do it independently are usually being, you know, kind of derided 
by some of the creators and definitely some of the some of the higher ups at those companies. Yeah, sites like Bleeding Cool, um, Heidi McDonald's The Beat um, is another site that I think does does great journalism. I think Bleeding Cool is underrated for the level of journalism. They absolutely do report on rumors, and well, it's like I, before you know, I I was a big fan of them before they got Jude Terror. Yeah, when Jude Terror came in, and I, he he kind of ruined a lot of he ruined some of the fun for me. Yeah, um, back when it was Rich running the whole show. Yeah, you know it was it it was something different then, but yeah, obviously Rich sold it off, and he's still the major contributor to the site. Yeah, but you know it's diversified its content just like any other website has had to. Um, but I can say that Bleeding Cool still its intent, its heart is in the right place mm-hmm. versus <clears throat> Newsrama. Uh, <laughs> well, even CBR, I feel like, has fallen off quite a bit uh, since Jonah sold it. Jonah Wyland had owned it for, gosh, 10, 15 years. And, and I felt like uh, while, yeah, they did have puff pieces, they actually broke comics news. And now they, they had a lot of breaking stories back yeah, in the day. And now it's a lot of lists. It's a lot of... The only good thing I feel like has come from it is there's a lot more writing by Brian Cronin. Yeah. Who uh, did comics should be good. And, yep. And I thought that was a, a great aspect to the site. Yeah, um, it's just... the And also you got to take the redesign into into account. I like that, actually. Do you? I, I like it because it makes it more mobile-friendly as mm. opposed to before I tried to read it on my phone and it would just crash. Yeah, I'm sorry. I... I I'm old, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I I like to read the internet on my computer. <laughs> so, but no, I get what you're saying. It's extremely mobile friendly now, and I know that that's the future. It's just too. I don't know. Anyway, we digress. Maybe we should do a show about the websites about comic books. Yeah, you know. That, well, yeah, that'd be fun. Okay, you know, you're gonna hear us just. We like to bullshit for like the first 15, 20 minutes of the bo- podcast, yeah. just because, you know, we haven't seen each other for a week, and uh, you know, just talk about what's been going on. And and it was cool talking Epic Comics with you. I have the first volume of Alien Legion, the reissue. Oh, okay. Uh, which is. God, I love that book so much. I, I go back to it every so often when, because uh, I'm I like to run tabletop RPGs, and I like more in the vein of like sci-fi superhero RPGs. Okay, over, yeah. But I still run D and D too, or not two D and D five E, but I run D and D five E as well. I should say, uh, I'm not that much of a grok nerd, um, but uh, you know that's one of those books where I can kind of go to to kind of spark my creativity. So it was really cool talking epic, and I can tell you that um, in the future we're going to near future, probably in the next few weeks, we're probably going to have whole sessions which are going to be about comics that we re- that we read outside of DC and Marvel. Yes, absolutely. I, I read a few this week that. I was just like, I know, I know, we probably are going to talk about Marvel this week, but I really love these books, and we're gonna, we're really gonna get to them because there's a lot of indie books or non, non big two books, I should say, because yeah. I mean, Image really is a publishing powerhouse, so it's hard for me to call them indie, even though they, they, they technically because they're creator owned. I'm all over Image. I'm yeah. an Image whore at this point. Uh, Image, Aftershock, Valiant. I love those. Aftershock publishers. is neat stuff. Valiant is neat stuff. Um, Exo Manowar. God damn, I love that book. I, I, I I'm I, pretty excited for the new Matt Kent yeah, launch. Yeah. Exo. 
So right. there's there's exciting stuff happening all over mm-hmm. the place. And we want to look at creator-owned stuff, too. Like, I'm interested in some of the Vertigo books. Um, one of the Vertigo books I'm reading is Tom King's Sheriff of Babylon and uh, over at Vertigo. Have you read that book? I, I have not. Um, you know, Tom King was an actual, like, CIA officer. Yeah, I, I read a little bit about that because he posted some stuff about politics. And, and I he was one of the few comic creators. Well, I, I do listen to a lot of cre- comic creators talk mm-hmm. about politics. And more or less, I agree. His was the one I was most interested in. Uh, because, because he actually walked the walk. Yeah. Yeah. So I was pretty interested in his opinion on it. But um, but that's another book I want to look at down the road as well. Yeah, you know, so we'll do a whole thing. Maybe we'll go, we'll just go creator owned books. Yeah, you know, that way we can. You want to do that next week? Shit, yeah, let's do that next week. Okay, so next episode, uh, next full episode of graphic content, uh, we are going to talk about creator owned books. 